You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, inspiration, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about art. We talk about spiritualism. We talk about imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. We do sometimes talk about things like sexual assault, suicidal ideation, self-harm, trauma, and whatnot. So, you know, be advised. Each week, artists, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people join me, Brad Pearson. Not a doctor. Not a therapist. Not an expert. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on self worst Hello. Welcome to another episode of self worst I'm Brad Pearson. I was going to say the number of the episode. I was going to say episode 100-something, but I uh, just now forgot. I just brain farted and I forgot. I, 105, 6? I don't remember. Uh, I could reach out and, and look for it, but you know what? That's going to be some dead air, me fumbling through my you know phone or whatever. Just like, woo, woo. Pull up the podcast app on my phone to look at my own podcast. Whatever. Episode 100-something. Numbers, what are numbers? Numbers aren't real. Radiator's making some noise. I don't know if you can hear that. Boy, my dog sure can. She is not happy about the little minute tink sounds that come from the radiator. The little tink, tink, tink. She does not like that. She acts like a gun just went off. She shoots up out of bed in the middle of the night if the radiator tinks. She just sits up. I wake up to find her panting in my face, shaking, making noise. So that's been something to deal with. It's okay. You know, we're having, we're all having trouble sleeping. Sleep schedules are a little weird now. Sun's going down earlier. What are you gonna do? It's the dark times. We all knew this was coming. I, I did a whole episode about it last week. Only on Patreon. Patreon.com slash self You can listen to the whole stupid rant. I thought I was going to come home uh, this evening after work and do some work in the backyard, lay down some more gravel. It was already dark by the time I got home. Ain't that some shit. I guess I could cut open and lay down bags of gravel in the dark, but it seems like I kind of want to see what I'm doing better. Make sure it's not all lumpy. I tried to do something in the dark yesterday and like tur- looked out on the backyard yesterday and I was like, it was pretty lumpy out there. So I think I need to do it during daylight hours. We had another altercation with our fucking landlord. They don't like us putting anything, anything in the hallway. 
which apparently includes a welcome mat because they took away our welcome mat. No welcome mat for you. Really? It's just a little square. It's like a, it's like a little three foot mat in front of it. No! No mats! You wipe your feet inside your apartment. All right. All right. I got mad I was chaining up my bike outside the apartment on the tree gate. They didn't like that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick my battles here. I'm just going to chain it up elsewhere in an undisclosed location. I'm not telling you where I'm chaining on my bike. Because I was like, they're gonna, I'm going to come out one day and the, the landlord's going to have like cut the lock and like taken my bike without telling me. They didn't tell us they were taking the fucking mat, tell you that much. It's now in some undisclosed location. They said they put it in storage, but they probably just threw it away. Anyway, fucking landlords. Am I right? Not cool. I'll fight that person. Anyway. Hope you're having a good week. Hope you're dealing with the darkness. Boy, it sure gets dark early these days. <laughs> How many times has that been said about around the water cooler? If you're going back to work. Or in the Zoom meetings. If you're like everybody else. I mean, you might as well talk about it. Nothing you can do about it. Ain't shit you can do about it. Getting dark. Just, yeah, talk about it. That's a human thing. That's a normal thing to do. Yes, it, it gets darker every year. Yes, it seems to happen every single year. Same time. It gets dark for a few months. We don't love it. What are you going to do? This week, we're talking to Samir Nassim. He's a comedian based here in New York City. Real nice dude, chill dude. He was very approachable. I asked him to come on the show, and he was like, Yes, I like your show. I've even been listening to it. And I, that, was, that blew my mind. I was like, Wow, really? I, I mean, I love when anybody listens to my show, but it's, it's, like, if it's a guest... It's somebody who I want to be on the show, and they're like, oh, yeah, that, sure. I've been listening to it. Wow. Wow. I'm like, do you like it? What's your favorite part? Is it good? And they're like, yeah, sure. I mean, I mostly just wanted to listen to it to make sure you, like, you weren't, like, some, like, crazy Nazi or something before I come on your show. I was like, but did you like it? They're like, Sure. What was your favorite episode of my show? Do you think I ask good questions? Tell me more about what you like about my show and me. And they're like, is the, is the episode going to be like this? And they're like, yes. You ready to record? Anyway, it was a good talk. Uh, he's a super nice guy. He's a first generation American. American. He's one of us now. Welcome aboard. <laughs> uh, here we go, and uh, he's gonna be—he's gonna be a papa. That's very exciting. He's about to have twins. 
I, I mean, we talk about this like near the end of the show, but I feel like we're kind of burying the lead. I mean, that's twins, twins, twin papa, double daddy, Samir Nassim. As I'm recording this Wednesday night, I'm about to run up to Williamsburg to go see his show, Funhouse, which he runs at Pete's Candy Store with a friend of the show, Gabe Pacheco. Go check that out if you're anywhere in the New York area. Or again, just fucking fly in. Come just see that show and then get back on the plane. Just go. Make your whole trip around that. Fuck it. You could. It's legal to do that. Maybe not wise. You might want to spend your money a little better. But you could do that. Anyway, we get to the show. We're going to get to the interview. Hope y'all are having a nice fall time embracing the darkness. And just rolling with it, man. The fleeting fall colors, soak them up while you can. Everything's all nice and yellow and red and shit right now. That's fun. It's flannel weather. We're getting cozy. Remember like last year this time? Like they had just called the election. We all kind of, we breathed a sigh of relief. But we all kind of also knew that it's not like Biden's going to do anything. I mean, I I voted just just to see Trump lose. Just, just I mean, he's gonna win again in twenty twenty four probably because the Democrats aren't doing anything and it, uh, it's gonna be bad. They're gonna get walloped in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty four. But hey, a, a little four year deferment. Why not? I mean, I don't, you know what? I don't want to talk about that shit. I'm not here to remind y'all that we're doomed. Not right now. Just trying to have an episode of this show. Do we need to think about it right now? We just had a, we just had an election. We did some local elections and stuff last week. It didn't go great. It went okay in a couple places. We got a we got a cool ass socialist in my own district. That's fun. I was happy about that, but a lot of other things are uh, seemingly turning to shit, as usual. What are you gonna do? It's like the time change. You can talk about it, I guess. You can complain about it to your friends or on Twitter or on a podcast, as it were. But what what are you gonna do? Are you going to vote? Yeah, vote. Yeah, vote. Vote. I'm not anti-voting. I'm just saying it's like... You know, you live in a city like New York that's just... Rife with litter. Just fucking cups and shit everywhere. Fast food wrappers. Random garbage. Sometimes there's garbage that, like, doesn't make any sense. Sometimes there's garbage that's just downright ominous. An eyeless doll in the middle of the sidewalk holding a pinwheel. You know, like, things like that that just, like, seem, like, creepy. and Like, you shouldn't... You should maybe, like, walk past it, walk around it. 
But like, if you litter, if you're actively contributing to it, you're kind of an asshole, right? You know, I mean, I mean, it's all going downhill. But if you're helping push it down the hill, then like, well, don't make it worse. Why are you helping it? Anyway, I'm I'm getting sidetracked. On with the show. I'm tired. I'm loopy. It's it's dark. It's going to be dark. It's going to stay dark. It's going to get colder and dark. Darker. Get used to it. I don't know what to tell you. Toughen up a bit. You can handle it. You've been through this 30 times or more. I assume all my listeners are in their 30s. Or higher. But hey, if you're a little baby, if you're in your 20s, wow, that's great. Look at you. With whatever is left of your life ahead of you. Aww. I love you. I kiss you on the lips. I die for you. All of my listeners. I'll see you on the flip side of the interview. Here we go. Now we're actually going to start. Now we're going we're, we're gonna to actually do it. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Samir Nassim. Right now. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for joining me, man. Uh... You know, just tell tell me a little bit about uh, you know, give us a general overview of uh, who you are and, and and what you're like. All right. Well, uh, I am uh, Indian American stand up comedian. I was uh, raised Muslim, and uh, I live in New York City. I'm a stand up comic, yeah, but also I act sometimes, and uh, I'm a writer. You said that, uh, being, you know, being raised, uh, you know, for in like an Indian immigrant family, there was a lot of pressure on like success and, uh, you know, like, I, I guess, I mean, you know, that that's pretty in line with the, I don't know, the stereotypes that I've heard about just like, you know, Indian immigrants and it's like, you gotta be a doctor, you gotta be a lawyer. Like that's, you know, like what you hear, uh, from people. Um, and that, you know, there's like that, that big, uh, I don't know, a uh, 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 fear in every first-generation Indian uh, American's heart of disappointing their parents. Like, that's, like, the biggest, worst thing that they can imagine. Yeah, it's all true. I mean, um, there's exceptions to every rule. Sure. I'm, I probably know a few kids who sort of squeaked out of that, but... Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, there's this obsession about success and about, um, you know, falling in line and yeah. uh, not taking uh, a route that wasn't uh, already established or something. So, like, going out on a limb right. was something that was frowned upon, you know? And I think it's because a lot of people's parents that came here from India were... Um, doing their best to get by initially when they got here yeah and then they were inevitably however successful they become they don't want their kids to not um have that level or more of success and so they looked for pre-established routes that they deemed like successful career paths and they definitely funnel their kids in those directions a lot so. sure i mean it only makes sense you know you you 
come from a fairly impoverished country, you have like, you know, the shirt on your back and you're starting a family, like, of course you want your kid to make as much money as possible. Like, I'm guessing there's not a lot of, uh, like, Indian immigrants who would, you know, just like send their kids to like a Montessori school and are kind of just like, ah, do whatever, you know, like, you'd be creative. I'm glad you just said that because uh, I've met people who went to Montessori school and without them even telling me, I know that they went. Yeah. And, you know, you, you get that vibe from Montessori people where you're like, wait a minute, did you go to Montessori school? And they're always like, yeah, why? And I think it's because they have that ability to um, imagine stuff and to like dream up their uh, the scenario, the ideal scenario for them. And it's more the way they approach things. But yeah, definitely. Like, I didn't know anyone who really went to a Montessori school, but I do know. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't know right. people who went to Montessori school, but I do now. And I see like that they're really, in general, most of them are very successful. And uh, I think it's because they were taught to be independent thinkers and taught to take their ideal approach to solving problems or to figuring things out. And I think they were really led by what excited them. And that's kind of something that I don't think Indian families were really interested in. Like what excites you? It's more like, look, do the homework, get it, get the best grades and then go down that, you know, whether it be doctor, lawyer, you know, path. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I know anybody who was raised in a Montessori school. I wasn't. I went to public school, um, and I've thought sometimes that like oh that that might have been cool because you know like I was a just sort of like you know freaky uh, uh, like weird feelings boy and like a, an artsy kid, but uh, then I also thought like if I am one of those people who just follows like unstructured plans and going your own way and going with like just like you know following your passions things like that then I also combine that with like my 20s and the onset of depression and like there's like swaths of time years at a time where like nothing I don't have passions nothing excites me I don't want anything I didn't like okay so I do like fucking nothing I do nothing so I don't know was that when it set in? It was your 20s? Uh, that's when it like really became like a thing, you know? That's when it was really just like, oh, this is, I'm not just like a moody teenager. Like, because for a while I was, you know, like when I was like really in my feelings as a teen boy, I was, I felt like, well, maybe this is just like, I'm all full of, you know, all these hormones and I'm all, you know, I'm passionate and I'm horny and I'm curious and uh, there's just like a lot going on and like, you know, I was, I was in high school during nine 11, you know, like just like, there was like a lot to just like process about the world that gave me a lot of feelings. But then it was like in my twenties where I was just like, Oh, like a lot of the other people who like a lot of my peers who were also really like moody teenagers like they seem to be kind of like leveling out and like getting girlfriends and stuff and i'm like i'm not like what's happening to me like you know like i just i i can't seem to get my shit together like so i don't know that's that's typically when it sets in uh so it just sort of makes sense to me but that's also i mean when i finally started like uh 
I don't know, knowing it as a thing, you know, like as a concept. Like I didn't really, I didn't really know what depression was when I was in high school so much. Yeah, totally. I feel the same way. It was when I became like 22 or something after college was when it really set in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was exactly that. I was like, ah, it's not just like a few days here and there. It's like perpetual. Yeah. 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 I mean, so you turned out to be a, uh, a, a creative guy, a, a guy in the arts. Um, what was that path like coming from, you know, a, like a, a, a very like regimented, you better make some money kind of background? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, before I did stand up, I used to DJ and uh, okay, so that's like the other. That's like the other. Like, not gonna make any fucking money. Like, barely a job. Job. But that was the thing. Is like I started doing it when I was in college, and it was because I threw a huge house party, and the police broke it up, and they're like, "If we ever come back here, we're gonna arrest you." And so I was like, "Looks like I have to throw a legitimate party somewhere." So I started throwing these parties at this nightclub near my college, and then. I started making a bunch of money, like DJing, and uh, my parents hated it. They, right. you know, because they were like, well, you DJ like once a week or something. So it's not a sustainable living and like whatever. They, they were really trying to discourage it at all costs because they were super afraid that I would just get sucked into it and then really like didn't just never, ever do what they wanted me to do. So they would always discourage it. They would always have something bad to say about it. And um, they were pretty um, intense and controlling because they felt me finding my independence and pulling away. And so it made them feel like they were losing control, I think. Mm. And if, you know, any control slipped, then I think they thought they lost complete control. Right. So they would just be like hell bent against me doing anything fun, really, Um, because they thought that I would pursue it as a like profession what did they want you to do specifically did they have anything in mind yeah i mean at first they wanted me to be a doctor but i really wasn't headed down that direction i wasn't really interested in it at the time and so then they were trying to push me to be you know work in finance and accounting and stuff right and uh and that's kind of what i did after i got out of college i wound up getting a job in finance and uh i hated it i hated every day of it and i i knew within like a few weeks that it was just a prison for my mind and for my spirit Mm -hmm. and that it was not going to be something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I used to get anxiety thinking like, this is what the rest of my life is going to be like just living for the weekend and then rinse, wash, repeat, like tearing it up on the weekends, getting out of control, partying, and then going into the office on Monday morning and just being miserable for a whole other week, you know? And so, uh, I just realized I had to get out of there. Um, and it was really just their dream, but that was when I began to realize like, you have to live your life. And if you're trying to please other people, like you're letting yourself down and they don't have to live your life. So it's terrible. It's like kind of spiteful to do that to yourself, you know? Um, do you have siblings? Oh yeah, yeah. What what's your I, what's your birth order? Are you are you oldest, youngest? I actually I'm in the middle. So I have ah. an older sister and yeah, and a younger sister. Yeah. So I was right in the middle there. Okay. Uh, did they like kind of end up in the um I don't know 
the 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 parental appeasement sort of life path? Yeah, my older sister was always about um, trying to make my parents proud and just be like a goody t-shoes. And um, so she went to law school, became a lawyer, and then started working for the Department of Justice. And now she's a judge. So she's Whoa. like, yeah, she did it all. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, then what was your journey then? Like going through those first few years of like, no, I'm going to be a DJ or some sort of other, you know, creative, uh, artsy fartsy type. Um, how, how, what were those conversations like? What was the, what was the vibe? Mostly I kept my parents out of it. Cause I began to realize like, even if I was having success to any extent, with any of my creative endeavors and I told them enthusiastically, they would kill my buzz immediately. Mm -hmm. So I realized like I had to live two lives, sort of just keep them out of my creative endeavor endeavor. So they couldn't like ruin it or spoil my fun or make me feel guilty or bad about it. And then I had to sort of just do whatever appeased them. So I, I guess the beginnings of this were I was, a DJ and I'd make all this money. I used to have this uh, night at this club in Boston called the paradise. It was by uh, Boston university or that's B. where you went to school. Well, no, I actually, is, went that, to where you, is that where you grew up in Boston? Well, I grew, I grew up in Massachusetts um, okay. for the most part. And uh, I wound up um, going to university of Massachusetts in Amherst. But I, after college, I went to Boston, back to Boston. I was working in finance out there and I was DJing on the weekends and uh, I was just making like a bunch of fucking money. And so, I mean, for back then, you know, How do and you get for paid DJing, as a DJ, they just, Oh, I used to, I used to promote it. Yeah. So I would promote okay. it and I would sell tickets and then I would get the tickets and I would get a piece of the bar. And so I would sometimes, you know, make like a thousand bucks for like, I would personally DJ for like an hour, an hour and a half. And then I'd have friends that came and DJed, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes I'd sell like 500 tickets or something, you know, or like, uh, and so it was, it was fun. It was really fun, but they hated it. And then after that, somebody told me actually was this guy named Rob Crean. He's a stand-up comic, really funny guy. He's in Boston. He's very big in the Boston comedy scene, but I was at a party telling a story and he was like, Hey, have you ever uh, tried stand up comedy? And I was like, what? Like, I would love to, but I didn't think that that was something that people could do. I guess I just had this disconnect where right. I didn't realize that, you know, everybody in stand up starts somewhere. And so he was like, Hey, you should try it. And then he used to run a mic. So I wrote some jokes and I went to his mic and I mean, they were pretty juvenile and stupid. Sure. Uh, not to say that they still aren't, but um, yeah, he uh, he had me up there on the mic and and then I just caught this fever where I was like, I have to do this. Like, I want to do this. I love this. And I'd never felt that way about anything before. And uh, so that was really the beginnings of it. And then I started going to the club in Boston to uh, the uh, comedy studio and the comedy studio is a fan place. It's, it's up there. Um, but I really respect that place. And the guy who runs it, this guy, Rick Jenkins, a lot of people know him. Um, he's a great guy. He's been around a long time. He's like a 
fixture in the scene in Boston for sure. But people know him all over the country. But that guy gave me a shot. And, um, you know, I'd hang out at the club. And then inevitably he started giving me spots. And that was when I started taking it more and more seriously. And I was just filled with all this, like, piss and vinegar because I was so, like, enthusiastic about comedy. And I mean, there's it was something different. It was like something clicked in my head. And uh, I just started manifesting my own reality. And granted, I was absolute dog shit at comedy. <laughs> like, I was fucking, like, I, I found some of the DVDs. Like, Rick had this recording set up in the back and he'd give you a dvd of your set i found some of them and i watched one of the sets i was like what the fuck was that right but um but you know i kept trying and i started just booking shows in other cities and it was something i'd never done before because it it forced me to go out of my comfort zone and ask people for things right and that's something i never do even to this day like i regret that i am that way at times but I back then would just be like, I've got to go to Chicago, for example. Right. I need to go to Chicago. I need to like go out there and do shows. I have to see what it's like. And I knew people out there. So I would just hit up the clubs. I hit up Zanies. I would hit up whoever in the scene. And um, yeah, I just would go out there. And like, uh, I remember I talked to Best Selling. Someone connected me with her. Mm-hmm. And she got me on a few shows. Like, sight unseen it was really nice for her it was really like helpful of her and i was really enthusiastic about the comedy community at large like in general across the united states because i began to get plugged in with these local scenes and i would go out there and do what i thought was stand-up comedy i hadn't really found my voice at that point but um, when you were starting off and you were like really bad did you know you were really bad or did did you have like what was your delusion level at at that point (laughs) it was pretty high because I, I think just, you need that. I think that's the only, I think that's, that's what kept you going probably. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Actually, that's a great thing that you mentioned because yeah, it was exactly like that. Like it kept me going. I didn't have time to stop and like look around and be like, wait a minute, do I suck at this? And also, you know, is there some type of um, like ladder you need to climb? Is there some sort of journey that you need to take uh, before you're worthy to do X or Y thing. I didn't really do that. And a lot of it was, um, I grew up in the punk community and like the punk and hardcore music community. And, um, you know, everyone I knew was in bands. I was in a couple of bands. I was also trash at guitar, but, uh, right. Well, that's, you you're, you're a punk musician. Yeah. Still not even that great. Most uh, of them suck. (laughs) Yeah. But I was around like, uh, all these people and there was this whole, um, thing about just pa- being passionate and acknowledging how things are ephemeral and how if you have something to say or you want to make a project or you want to make some music, uh, you should do it. And not only that, but commemorate it and like create an artifact that can exist in the world. So you got to record something, put your money together, record an EP or record even like a record if you have enough songs and put it out on vinyl or tape or whatever it was by yourself, you know? And um there was a lot of that going around. And so I learned a lot of this whole approach I was taking with comedy from punk. And I even that's the other thing that happened. It was like I would go to different cities because I knew people there from punk music. 
and uh, I would sleep on couches and I would do shows out there and then I would have an audience. And so it contributed to the delusion in that people would come to hang, people would come support, see a show. And um, I was able to like fly around and do all these shows, but I was just like trash at comedy. And I didn't realize like, you know, one thing I regret at the time, I wasn't um, realizing that it is absolutely a craft and like, it has to be worked at and has to be respected. But meanwhile, I don't like the fact that I inevitably did slow down and begin to look around and begin to be more sheepish and like start taking things down off the internet and then um, becoming a perfectionist and obsessing over jokes where I was like, it's not done yet. So I couldn't put up a clip of it or whatever it may be. And, um, and that's what really slowed me down was acknowledging this hierarchy that I thought, I mean, some people even argue that it definitely exists, but I see people who do things without like acknowledging or waiting their turn or whatever. And they just like work on their craft and they kind of, you know, try and do their thing. But all the while my parents were like not feeling me doing any of this. They're really worried about it. How often did you see them? How often would you like go back home and, and talk to them? Uh, I, w- I would go back, uh, especially when I lived in Boston, I'd go back fairly frequently because my parents live in central mass. Mm-hmm. So either they'd come like see me or I'd see them, but, um, yeah, they were just not feeling it. They were like trying to dissuade me as much as they could. And then inevitably I did this one show at MIT, uh, and it was in this huge auditorium and it was with these other comedians and, um, my parents came and there was legitimately like 500 people there or something, maybe even more. But, um, I think there, there was more, but I just really don't know. I I remember they sold when they sold 500 tickets and they had already finished selling 500 tickets. They told me, they're like, we already have 500 tickets sold. So I was doing the show. My parents were there and they came into the green room and they met these other comics and my parents were like, you could really do this. And I mean, it wasn't based on my clout necessarily. Right. It was just like whoever promoted it was like killing it. And but anyways, they were like, you could make a living doing this. I was like, hell yeah, people make a living doing this. Whether or not it's like a really great living is different. It's a different story. But uh, that was a big turning point because then my mom would always complain that I was doing free shows. She'd be like, oh, you're doing another free show, you know, because it's fucking right. New York. Like, I do a free show every week. And uh, so I was like, yeah, I am doing another free show. And she was like, I don't understand why Like, you would do that. It makes you look bad. You should be getting paid for what you're doing. Right. I was like, look, mom, if you want me to get paid so badly, why don't you just be my booking agent then? And she was <laughs> like, I will. And then I started getting booked and started getting paid. like Because she was booking money. you or because? Yeah, she like <laughs> immediately overnight like turned into like a Hollywood power booker. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck. It was so crazy. She just started doing research being it's like, how does it work? scrappy immigrant determination, man. Yeah, it really is. She was like, all right, if there's a dollar to be made, then believe me, I'm going to make it. And we're going to figure this out. And then it changed the game for me because... Um, just like the podcast is called self worst. Uh-huh. I was myself worst when it came to people asking me like, uh, Hey, do you want to do this show? It's like a college gig or it's like a paid gig. And I'd be like, hell yeah. You know? And then they'd be like, well, what do you need 
for payment and i'd be like oh, i don't know like 50 bucks and like some right. food and like a bus ticket and i was like so fucked because my mom was negotiating all of a sudden she'd be like 1500 bucks a hotel like transportation like make sure that he gets food <laughs> you know right it's yeah and i was just like what how did you do that i would have never done that because i had such low self-esteem that i'd be like i'll take a blockbuster video coupons uh sure. some trident gum <laughs> you know right so so that was a big turning point where they were like but it's wild because and stop me if I'm just going too wild and okay. on too much of a tirade here. But what I think was um, was crazy was my whole upbringing was about control and getting me to do what my parents wanted. And so they used guilt and whatever uh, as tools and devices to control me because they knew I just had like a guilty conscience about everything all yeah. the time. And uh, and so they would use it to control me and they'd use it to dissuade me from things they didn't want me to do. And so that really, it was like they chiseled it into stone almost like the guilt complex and the forced humility, like don't get too big for your britches. Don't fly too close to the sun and always right. be humble and all that shit. And that's so detrimental to being involved in entertainment because you need to be able to talk about yourself. I mean, there is obviously a limit where all of a sudden you become like a megalomaniac prick or something. Sure. But if you can't do the basic thing of like self-promoting, like simple shit without feeling like weird or like you're Icarus or some shit, then like you're in trouble. And because they had done that, all that shit for like yeah. 30 years, it's really hard to just flip a switch and be like, okay, cool. My parents rock with me now. Let's it's go. It's hard to reckon with. Cause you know, they're like, you're, they're your parents and they obviously, they did a lot to guilt you and shame you and control you and manipulate you. But then as you get older, you start to realize that they were just doing that because that that's the tools they had. Cause they were looking out for their boy and like, they just, all they wanted was for you to like succeed and be happy and healthy. And like, that's just what they had to offer you. And so like, it almost like, it just, it, it really <clears throat> hits you like in the heart, you know, when you realize that like all of the shitty things that your parents might've done, they were doing it because they loved you. And you're just like, well, then I really don't know how to feel because they also fucked me up for life and gave me all these complexes. You know, and it's just, it's it's hard. It's hard to know, like, what's, what's, like, shitty and abusive and unforgivable and what's just, like, tough love and, like, they were doing their best and you can let that slide. Yeah, I mean, I've, like, since entirely forgiven them. Sometimes I'll be pissed about it when I think back. I'm like, well... They didn't really set me up for success unless it was on their terms and it was what they wanted me to do. So that, that was something that I, you know, occasionally struggle with. But it's not like they purposely were trying to, like, kneecap me or fuck me up. It's just that they were horrified. Like, they came here. They didn't know anyone, really. They just had, like, my family that was already out here. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they were, like, trying to do their best to get by, but then they were also really scared. They're afraid of me losing my identity. Um, 
they were thought I would just stop being Indian or something. You know, <laughs> like I would right. just be like, I am not Indian now. It's like you can't you, really. You do, do that. like a reverse Fisher Stevens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so they were just not. They were really worried. They were terrified, and I get that. And like, yeah, there's just like a lot of stuff that they did that I don't think their intention was um, really to. I, they just thought like, look let's get this kid in line. He'll have a good life if he is like a lawyer or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just wasn't my ever my plan. And now they're like, you gotta, you gotta do what like makes you happy. You gotta, um, like they routinely are like, ah, why are you like in New York? It's so expensive. Yeah. And it's just such a hassle and stuff. And like, um, I'm like, first of all, I love this place. Like I, can't imagine not being here it is and, such uh, a lovable shithole this city it's it just, is right just, i love and hate it so great and fucking un insufferable yo every time i say that i love this place no lie it's like fucking i had a knock on wood because yeah. every time i say it within 24 hours something devastating happens to me it's just like if I profess like, my love for this place dude like just to date like i was before we started talking i was like I, I not to brag. We have an apartment now that has a backyard, which is like Hell yeah. a that's big sick. fucking deal in New York, which that's the Faustian bargain that you're making with this place that like having just normal shit like a washer dryer or a backyard is like that's like king shit now. And, Hell yeah. and that's just a standard of living that we all accept. But we have that now. And but it's been this whole fucking mess with this like building manager that we're at odds with and like it's kind of this like weird block right off the highway and like we're trying to get the backyard set up and it was all just like you know like the vision we had for it of just like you know like fire pits and doing like cool like backyard like having like a luau in the backyard and stuff it was like oh this will be great we're gonna entertain all our friends and then we just go back there and it's just like mosquito city and you're just like getting just like fucking pelted with mosquitoes and so i finally was like laying down gravel because that's going to help with the mosquitoes and then we're like we were talking to our neighbors who were just like They've been here for a while and they're like, yeah, you can maybe have a fire pit. But like the people over on this street, they're not going to they're going to like they called the fire department on the last tenants. We're like, fuck, like, of course, you have to live around all these other fucking people who have all their other fucking like agendas. And like, you know, you can't just like you can't just have just simple shit, just like a backyard with like a hammock and a fire pit. That's all I fucking want. But yet I also live in New York, so I. I sacrifice those things and I'm trying to have it both ways. And I understand that like, you, you can't really do that, but I'm trying to fucking force it. God damn it. Yeah. I literally feel you on all that. We just got a new apartment and, uh, and they put up, um, what do you call it? The scaffolding outside. Cause yeah. they're trying to, they have to, it's Lost like a historic worst. building. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so when we got here, I see the scaffolding and I'm like, Oh boy. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they're not really doing anything right now. No, they just put that shit up like, and they just leave it for years. Yeah, and nobody yeah. even knows why it's there. You ask them and they're yeah. like, I don't know. It was been there. I don't know. Like, I don't know who fucking put it up. Yeah. You're like, are they done uh, fixing the building for fucking a decade here? And so that attracted just the like 
wildest. Like, it's like people who are like, oh, cool, there's scaffolding up. I'm just going to hang out under it and shoot up. And um, oh, definitely, no. like, yeah, man, it's like a different. Shit, yeah. Yeah, which I wouldn't. I'd be like, whatever, man. Like, I, I'm like more bummed about like the pissing and like shooting up and stuff. Where I'm like, ah, it's like, don't lie. Like the day we moved in, there was a guy passed out on heroin in a like mangled truck, in the half in the bus stop and half on the curb. So like half of his car was on the curb. Like I don't know how the fuck he did it. I think he like tried to back into the bus stop and then nodded off. So his yeah. like head was on the steering wheel. He was like passed out. I mean, I heroin like, physics are really like it's impressive. Some of the it's like some of the feats that I've seen, you know, like people do just like they're, they're like they're like half asleep. They're just like bent at the waist and they're like fully knotted off, but they're like walking down the street still somehow. It's just it's it's, it's it like when there's like mind. a glitch in a video game and your character is yes. like halfway turned over or they're like <laughs> yeah. completely horizontal, but they're still walking down the street and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious, and it's true. I see that all the time. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like everything's a compromise. Like, you live in this city because you have your reasons. Like, I cannot fathom anyone who lives in this city who doesn't, um, I don't know, do something special. Like, yeah. you know, like, if you're doing a podcast, for example, you have the – cream of the crop of people to talk to you out here and i'm talking about just like the most eclectic diverse group of just different types of people that you can interview and stuff yeah and um but they're like i hate when i meet someone who's like yeah i just i don't do any like i don't like the movies or restaurants (laughs) (laughs) like i basically just go to work and go home and i'm like why the fuck would you do that here yeah you should just like, you could just commute somewhere. from jersey bro like everything's yeah. virtual now like you could you could really live anywhere yeah live in vermont vermont's lovely like it's beautiful you, you could just live there i've thought about it like it's just you know and like this has been a thing since the pandemic where everything's been going remote and like a lot of people have been leaving and you know they're just like well i you know I lived here because I had to like commute into work and I didn't really like it. And I was like, fair, understandable. Like if you don't have to fucking do it then, and you don't like it, then yeah, go have a much better standard of living somewhere else. Have a house with a yard and laundry and central air and like somewhere to park your fucking car. Like do it. Yes. Right. But and that like, shit really rules, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's like great. Very I, grew up, great. I grew up in like a fucking like suburban street. Like it was awesome. We had a backyard. We had a two car garage. We had yeah, we had cable. exactly. Like, it was it was awesome. Like so, you know, it's just I don't know when 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 people talk about being able to kind of do this sort of thing from anywhere. Like in theory, I've thought about this, that I could technically do this podcast from anywhere. Like we're talking remotely right now. I could be anywhere. I could be in Minneapolis. I could be in Mozambique, you know, but like, I don't like, I would, I would never have like met you in person and been able to exactly. like, step to you and just be like, Hey, what's up? Like, want to come on my show? It's a little different when you're like, when you just like DM somebody, like it's worked when I've just DM somebody 
and ask them to be on the show and explain to them what it is. And then they come on the show and I've never actually seen them in person. It can happen, but it's much more, it's much, it's just much easier to just like meet people in person and like go see their like actual shit. And that's the thing though. Also is like, I feel like you enjoy that, right? Like you like to go out and, and hang and like meet people in person. So I do. I I mean, like I do. This is the place for that. Yeah. I, I, I do, and I also, I mean, I get it when, you know, like, because I'm kind of in both worlds where I do love going to comedy shows and stuff, but also I really fucking love, I mean, the pandemic taught me this, that, like, I just love sitting at home and watching TV with my dog and my girlfriend. That's, honestly, I could take that, too. But, like, since I'm here... <laughs> you know, like, right, you know, right. like I might as well like make some shit out of it and like go places. Like now that like things are opening back up and you know, like we're all just sort of pretending COVID doesn't exist anymore and you know, we're, right. just, we're just sort of doing shit. <laughs> we're good. Um, I, I said that actually. I think the night that I saw you, where I was like, you know, this was like the peak of COVID so three weeks ago, and then nobody laughed. I don't think people want to fucking discuss it anymore. Yeah. Why am I doing this? I'm sabotaging my own show by doing that. I remember like, dude, I was at this show um, fairly early on in like the reopening. Um, Did you ever go to the big weird? They had it at Littlefield for a while. I don't know if they're still, I don't think they're still, they're definitely not doing it there, but I think, I think they're like not doing it at all anymore for right now. But, yeah, it was Casey and, and them. Yeah, Casey and Will and Ryan. Yeah. Ryan yeah. was on stage and he was just trying to, sort of like bantering with the audience. And um he asked, like, he was like, Oh, cool. Like, yeah, this is great. Like, we're all in here, we're all vaccinated, we're all vibing. Oh, there's still a couple people with masks on. Uh, ma'am, you you have a mask on. Like, why do you still uh have a mask on? And she was like, Well, because my friend is fully vaccinated and she still got COVID. And he was just like, and you just like felt like the temperature of the room just drop and he like didn't know what to say for a second he was like right (laughs) cool yeah right the delta variant yeah it's like an immediate regret breakthrough cases and stuff i guess we're not out of this well i'm opening a comedy show (laughs) like (laughs) just like sort of kept trying to go and it was just like bro like Oh, this sucks. But like that now, I guess we're just kind of used to that vibe too. I don't know. We just got the booster over the weekend, and like that made me feel a little bit better. Like, but did you get every time? Did you feel fucked up after the booster? I felt like kind of. So the second jab, um, I I got Moderna. I got the second jab back in March, and like that put me on my ass for like a good day or so. Um, my girlfriend was fine. She like, she said that she woke up in the middle of the night to like go pee and she like looked over and I was just like lying in like sweat and was like, oh, like, <laughs> and like was what? just not having a great time. Um, but, uh, I felt I yesterday, what was it yesterday? The day before I got it on Saturday on Sunday, I definitely, we went and saw a play uh, in Manhattan and I was just sort of sitting there just like, Ooh, like just sort of tired, but like the booster is apparently like half the dosage of the regular, the first two shots. So like, accordingly, I sort of felt just half as fatigued. Like I was fine, 
but I just felt like a little under the weather, like nothing too bad. So it was just to like top you back off to like basically, make you, yeah, it was yeah. A, yeah, it was a warmer. It was like a little top off, you know, like a little. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is that COVID. COVID was a time where like what a perfect storm for, um, just a fucking nuclear bomb for people's emotional and mental health and stuff. Yeah, like um. I mean, so many different things happen with COVID. Like right before COVID, my career was picking up. And like for once in my life, I was like determined. All, I had all these big meetings. I had a TV show development deal, which I still technically have that deal. But uh, I was pitching my show and I was doing like comedy, all this shit, developing an hour working on this new material I was really excited about. Then I did this huge show with Mac DeMarco in Los Angeles yeah. and we sold out tickets in like 10 minutes. Like, uh, and it was amazing. And I was like, fuck, this is going to be amazing. Cause like, he's not even a comedian, but he's a funny dude. And it was like a really cool venue. And so I went out to LA and I was like, we went to soundcheck in the afternoon and I was like talking to him and we went for a walk around the neighborhood and he told me that his shows were canceled in China and Japan, right? And I was like, this was in um, this was in February. It was like February 22nd, right. 2020, right? So I was like, why were your shows canceled? And he was like, because of COVID. And I was like, come on, dog. That <laughs> shit. I was like, that shit is ridiculous. Because, you know, they did this whole thing with SARS at one point yeah. and like avian bird flu where they were like, society is about to crumble from the bird flu and then like nothing happened and then they were like avian or they were like fucking sars is gonna yeah, kill everyone flu, like they're one n one all of that one yeah. flu exactly and so i was like look this is all just bullshit they've always done this they love to hype it up and like it just captures the news cycle for a few weeks anyway so um that night at the show we like joked around about covid and um Sure enough, like I get back and they're like, all right, we're going to do this as a monthly show. Like we'll fly you out to L.A. I was so stoked. I was so amped up. And then like two weeks later, I I go out and it's March 13th, Friday the 13th. And everything right. the next day goes on lockdown. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And then I realized like the initial shock was devastating to a lot of people I know, including myself. Like, yeah. wait a minute, this is fucking real. And so it was like, all of a sudden you couldn't go anywhere cause everything was closed, but people weren't hanging out either. And so it was something like what you said, where I, I like realized like, wait a minute, I kind of do like being at home. And, um, but I really wanted to do all the shit and all this stuff get started getting canceled. All these shows started getting canceled. My road shows started getting canceled. And, um, you know, I got like flight credit or whatever for like those shows, but who knew when like I could even get back on the road or anything. Yeah. So that was initial shock was like fucked up. But then it was the overall shock of like social media when like the middle of the pandemic, they were like, yeah, we're just gonna have a little recess. <laughs> you remember when they like started like opening things up again and like um they started like I fucking I feel like the summer of twenty twenty. Yeah. 
was it fun? Yeah, the summer of 2020, there was outdoor shows and stuff, and people yeah. started getting. Yeah, so people started getting booked on outdoor shows, and that's when I noticed like I was getting super depressed because I had become like this homebody, and then shows started coming back and trickling in. And that is when things got really weird because Instagram became this thing where I would just be scrolling endlessly for hours mm. and I would just be constantly shown like, hey, people are doing comedy shows, but you're not getting spots. And it's because like I hadn't asked. And also there were limited spots. And so they were going to like the most vigilant of people who are getting these spots. And I think collectively speaking, as like, uh, you know, comedians, we were all going through some crazy shit because we weren't able to perform for so long. And that was like, there were still people performing low key and like weird speakeasies yeah. and shit. But, um, it just made me people like just... touring to Florida and shit where like they didn't like Florida. <laughs> yeah, they just, like, COVID just never, never. happened. Like... Yeah. Yeah. They were just like, I'm sorry. What now? Like there's obviously no masks, but also they just yeah. ignored COVID in general. But um, yeah, I I started realizing that it was making me feel terrible. Yeah. And um, I remember I took mushrooms one day with another comedian friend. We went to Prospect Park, and we ran into another comedian that was just in the park walking his dog, and um, I was tripping on mushrooms and i was like you know what makes me unhappy fucking instagram what a nightmare world and then they were like oh still and uh i realized that it was just preying upon everyone's insecurities and it was driving people to have tons of negative Mm self-talk and it became this like catastrophic self-fulfilling prophecy where i had such bad fomo of not being on all these shows instead of being like hey maybe i should ask or maybe i should take the power in my hands and start putting shows on again i uh instead was like it's because nobody fucks with me and then i just started this really crazy negative self like thought kind of uh negative feedback loop sort of thing and um so that was really devastating too until like i then started taking the power into my hands and putting on my own shows um but yeah i feel like it just was a perfect storm for toxic shit like negative self-thought and it just a lot of shit just sort of bubbled over that year you know and and it seemed like there were there were a couple of different you know there's almost like a double helix happening where there were people who were realizing it was almost in a weird way a positive thing where people were realizing like oh like i've had to take some time off from my job and I realized that I don't really like it. And this has got me thinking about other things that I want to do. Maybe I'm going to go back to school and maybe I'm going to like reassess my life and, and uh, start learning a new thing. And like, it just like the time just away from everything to just like take a breath uh, just away from the hustle away from the grind was therapeutic for a lot of people. It's just that the reason for it, was highly traumatic and fucked up and, and, and shouldn't have ever happened, you know? So, uh, it, it, I think it left a lot of people just not knowing how to feel because people were just, they were sitting at home and they were thinking like, well, this is kind of okay because like I hated my job. 
now I, and like now things are a little easier. I don't have to commute anymore. And like I get to just like make sourdough and hang out with my pets and my, you know, my significant other. And like this is this is better. But like it's because of this horrible thing and people are suffering and dying, you know, and like it just it just never felt good. You know, like I, I it wasn't a good thing <laughs> that that shit happened. And then like. The, the George Floyd uprisings, all of that started happening. And like, this was like leading up to an election year and like, you know, like Trump and like all of that insanity. So there was just like so much shit just all fucking happening at once that like, I don't know how anybody, you know, like, I don't know how anybody, how anybody came through it, uh, you know, unchanged. Like it, it, it changed everybody. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, along with the bad, I think there were some good things like, for example, the work from home thing yeah. like that fucking office politics were so stupid. And I think that, um, it made a lot of people sick to have to sit around and posture all day. Like jobs should be a lot easier than i mean you know what i mean like yeah. well the job itself the nature of the work might not be that easy but the the weird like machiavellian corporate environment is fucking stupid and it's a waste of people's energy we live such a short life it's fucked up like i remember before the pandemic i was working in advertising and i was working at this one place yeah. and i was like i kind of hated it and um and the thing is i didn't mind my job and what I was doing. I just hated all the dealing with like psychopaths in the workplace. Right. And you're just you're it's you and like thirty six Patrick Batemans. <laughs> yeah. Just basically. all these like fucking yeah, just like white Republican like finance bros just like have, you know, totally date raped somebody. Uh for sure. I mean this is like so I left finance in like two thousand eight right. when uh well, that's a crazy story, too. So, like, basically, I worked in finance, and I had all these um, universities. You were pleasing your parents. Like, like you were making good right. money. They were happy. So, yeah. So, I was, like, working on these university endowments. And anyways, I was that guy that just kept, they kept giving me more work, but weren't giving me a raise and weren't giving me a bonus or anything. Right. And I hated it. And so, my way of lashing out was just, like, um was just like to tear myself to shreds over the weekend, you know, by like partying like crazy. And um, anyway, so I was in the office one day and they like pulled me into a meeting and they were like, uh, yeah, we were thinking of uh, giving you this uh, new client. And without even like thinking, I just was like, I mean, this was like, uh, my mind working faster than like me even being able to slow it down. I was like, no, I wouldn't give me that client if I were you. And they're like, why? And I was like, because I quit. And then I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? What did I just say? Right. I just quit. I just quit my job. And then they were like, what? And they're like, oh my God, can you please stay on for like three weeks so we can find something that you can train to replace you or whatever. I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I don't have another job lined up. And right. So, but I was like, yeah, fine. Anyways, over the next two or so weeks, I just was like checked out like office space. Oh, yeah. like, I might as well have like got a fish on my desk and they were getting annoyed because 
I'd roll in like 20 minutes late every day and I'd be like, what's up? And like just aloof, not giving a shit. And so anyway, my boss, who actually at the time was like and still is, uh, was a friend. I considered him a friend. I mean, we had a weird relationship where, um, you know, he was a friend, but also he was my boss. And so anyways, he was just like, dude, you don't have another job lined up. You fucking quit. And now you're rolling in like uh late and it's like pissing off senior management and he was like they're just waiting for you to leave uh, but i'm gonna fucking fire you and i was like why and he was like because then you'll be able to collect unemployment <laughs> and i was like oh my god really and then i just get a meeting set up with the hr like they like email me and i was like oh my god i'm literally getting fired right now so anyways, that was it. And then um, and then the entire economy collapsed like two weeks later, like Arthur Anderson went down, like all the shit started just falling apart. Right. People were and, like jumping um, out the window like the Hudsucker proxy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And so that was it. And and I was so thankful it sent me on this whole path. But yeah, going back to it, I think like with the covid thing, you know, I right before it, like or, you know, like a year or something before it, I was in this workplace. It was in, in advertising now, you know, I've been working in advertising for fucking over a decade. And I was working at this place and I saw this dude, I went to go to the bathroom and I saw that this dude had had like a massive heart attack at the office. And it was on like the other side of the building from where I sat. So I would have never known about it had I not gone to the bathroom. And, um, they were hauling him out in a stretcher and shit. And then I had this like insane breakdown that night where I was like, that fucking dude like almost died in the office for what over like what in right. life is so short. And like, I bet you he was stressed out about shit at work and fucking almost like gave his life away for some multinational or like massive fucking corporation that doesn't give a shit about him. And so that was it. I was like, Hey, fuck this, all of it B life is too short and see, like, I am tired of giving a fuck about workplace politics. And then obviously with the pandemic happening, it just made things so much better. Cause like, you don't have to sit there and posture like, and you don't have to do all this annoying shit. Like there are people who are trash at their job, but they would be the first one in the office. And so like optically speaking, everyone would be like, oh, right. This was a big revelation that I think a lot of people had was that with a lot of work, not everything, but a lot of work, um, especially like office work, you get your shit done in five hours, but they expect you to be there for eight hours. And so minimum, like yeah. minimum, you know, and, and so like, you're just there kind of like not really sure what to do with yourself. And like, like I've, I've had all these jobs where, you know, like when I walk dogs, I'm maybe working, you know, like five, six hours a day. And then sometimes I f- just feel like, Oh, did I really put in like an honest day's work? Because I wasn't doing the like eight hours, you know, 40 hours a week kind of, thing that we have decided as a society is a valid amount of work for a grown up, you know, like a good boy to do. Um, and, and, but then I think like, yeah, I mean, I, I walked 10 dogs and, you know, walked like whatever, like 
seven, eight miles, I did some shit today, you know, but the, the, the idea that there's this arbitrary set of time that you have to just put in, in order to just be a valid member of productive society is, is kind of crazy and it's starting to crumble. And, you know, if there are good byproducts of that, it's, it's that that's starting to dissolve that, you know, we're seeing more aggressive, more like like uh, militant labor movements happening now. There's all these strikes happening. John Deere and Frito Lay and Nabisco like going on strike. Like people are like workers are beginning to recognize that they have some power and some value and like they can organize themselves. Um, and so maybe, hopefully, probably not. Something will come out of that. I hope so. Yeah. I'm waiting for the Amazon strike to pop off and actually succeed or not even strike. I mean, just unionization. And that'd be, that'd be, a good yeah, thing. we'll see. I don't know. They just opened a giant fucking, uh, uh, Amazon shipping center here in red hook. Um, which like, I, I have mixed feelings about cause I'm also like, I'm like, Red Hook has always been just like a place for like warehouses and truck depots and shit like that. So like it is like it's there's still like active docks. So I'm like, yeah, it's par for the course. Like there's just a different brands doing the things now, you know, like just employing all these like people to slave their lives away for like some big company. Uh, so it's not like necessarily going to change the character of the neighborhood. And yet it's still like this big white monolithic building, you know, that's just there all of a sudden and just it has the stupid little Amazon smile. And um, somebody already wrote like under it, they, they cleared it up pretty quick, but like within like a week of the Amazon building opening, somebody wrote Bezos bitch boy on the side <laughs> of the building, like huge <laughs> letters. Um, they covered it up pretty quick, but like it, it definitely was there. That's amazing. Yeah. I gotta I shake that person's hand. I know, right? I want to know who did it. Um, you're about to be a dad. Oh, Let's yeah. talk about this for a minute. We've been talking about parents. You're about to be one. How do you feel? Wow, it's yeah, it's uh, it's really crazy. I'm I'm working on an hour about it right now, and uh, uh, when I started working on the hour, I was doing it in this like sort of linear fashion starting at when we found out that we were going to have a kid and then finding out actually that it's twins and um, that's insane and i don't know anybody so who's had twins like that is that is that's like a thing you hear about but then and i've met twins but i don't know anybody like and i know a lot of people who've had babies but i you're the first person i've met who's actually having twins so weird subculture i'm like just getting uh acclimated to it's not i mean it's really exciting it's uh, it feels really special um when i told a lot of my friends they were like that's totally you that's your vibe and i was like what do you mean by that and they're like you do everything to the excess and this is excessive right but uh yeah it's it's really exciting i think the thing that i realized recently was that um, there's so much more than just the linear, like when we found out that we were going to have a kid and then finding out it's twins, there was before that, there was like the whole upbringing that I had in, with my parents and stuff. And, um, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about the tools thing, like they had, 
they didn't really know um the stuff that we really know now or like right. things weren't really discussed the way they are now and like emotional intelligence later. and all of that shit yeah so pronouns all of that all that shit like everything and just like and and so i realized that with everyone there's some semblance of childhood trauma some yeah. people don't have it from their parents some people just had like really mellow accepting and nice parents that were encouraging and whatever but then they have their own trauma from oh other yeah that, that's that's me <laughs> really <laughs> yeah my parents are great but i still have a traumatic childhood just from living in the fucking world like exactly the world is fucking horrible horrifying you're yeah gonna, you're gonna like, find out even if your parents are sweet as hell yeah, you're you can't be sheltered from it. One day your like little heart is gonna break because you're gonna experience something that sucks. Yeah. Or you're gonna see something you can't unsee or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I'm committed to sort of breaking those things, like the expectations one might have of their children. Um that's what where it should begin and end almost. Like you can guide people and you can teach people good things, but at the end of the day, like I'm f consistently faced with the reality that life is short, you know, like I know people my age that are, I mean, so many people that I've known my age or younger that have died yeah. unexpectedly. And there's like various reasons for that. But so I'm just more fixated on like, what does it all mean? Well, life is really short. And one thing I don't want, you know, my kids to do is to as corny as it fucking sounds and people say this all the time don't sweat the small stuff but in reality that is something that i want to like get them to understand like what really matters uh versus what are things that'll come and go and pass yeah. and you know and so that's something it's exciting it's scary it's like it's happening so soon too it's like when's it happening we're, uh the first week of december wow it's like the yeah, so it's like every Did day. Did you intend is... to have kids? Was this like a plan, or was this just like a oh, oop, oop, oop. oh, and there's two of them? Okay, great, fuck. Yeah, well, it was like I wanted to inevitably. I really yeah. did. I just, but I put it off all the time. Like, um, I was just like, there is no perfect time, and I realized that. But yeah. I was still waiting for the perfect time. I was like, let's just plan it out. And I knew that that day would never naturally come where I was like, all right, let's try now. I I knew there would always be something up in the air. Or, oh, let's go travel here or there. And then we'll like right. talk about it. You know? I really want to see Greece first. Yeah. Actually, that's where I went on my honeymoon. All right. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was awesome. I mean, it like, seems very lovely. I've, I've seen both Mamma Mia movies, you know, <laughs> looks, looks incredible. Yeah, hell yeah. So I mean, it was uh, it was it was like let's see what happens, basically, um, and it was a surprise. Like when we found out, I was excited. I was like, "Well, that's it. I guess we are gonna have a kid now." Yeah, there's no one doing that unless <laughs> exactly. But and hey, like I get that too. Like I I was outside yesterday. Um, Actually, Pranav Bihari, my friend, the comedian, he came over and we went we went downstairs from my apartment. We were like popped outside for a minute and this woman rolled up in a car and she gets out of her car. I could hear her screaming from inside the car with the windows up. And I, that was like kind of weird to me. I was like, who is she screaming at? And then 
she gets out of the car and she's literally shouting in the streets and she's like yelling at her kid and she's like i'm gonna like beat your ass i'm gonna fucking hit you um like you want attention you're gonna get plenty of attention and all this stuff and i was like what age is this kid and she opened the door in the back and this kid could not have been more than five years old and she was a fucking psycho and the way she was talking to the kid like i almost interceded and i was like i'm gonna get stabbed you know like because that's like my yeah it's hard like, to know what the fuck to do in that like i i've you run a, i mean again this is a new york thing we're all cloistered in together we're all having our worst moments just like on our commute you know, we're having just like our like mental breakdown that you normally get to just like have in private, but you're having that like argument or that breakup or like that like horrible shit out in front of everybody. And I understand that. So like usually I give people like a grain of salt to just like see some like like mom just like turning to your kids like shut the fuck up and just like yeah. you're like I get like you know like I understand like it's got to be like crazy to like deal with a kid just like talking constantly and just like just being a little asshole. So I'm usually just like, yeah, you're probably fine. But then sometimes you're just like, this is yeah, it's not, like excessive. Yeah, you're just like, this is not, this is not good. This is not. Yeah, good. I'm like, well, this if you're very... behaving like this in public, yeah, I can only fucking imagine what it's like in private. But this kid was dejected. He he was looking down. He was like non-responsive. Uh, he did not seem like he was a bad kid at all. In fact, you know, I see kids lash out like it's a back and forth. I mean, I think their parents are pieces of shit for what they do to them because you take this kid and then you behave that way to the kid. And then that kid's response is going to be like anger and yeah. rage and retribution. So I was so I felt so bad for this kid because this kid looked beaten down and miserable. And the mom was like shamelessly saying horrible things to him. And like, you know, just taking shots at it, calling him all types of fucked up things, like threatening, I'm gonna like hit you, just wait, and all this stuff. And I wanted to just like jump in there and be like, yeah, if you wanna hit someone, like I'm right here, you know? Right. Um, But again, I'm not gonna like be like fighting women in the streets here, <laughs> or sure. whatever, but like, and or like, I didn't wanna, you know, I had to like, I don't know, I feel a little guilty for minding my own business on that, at least not saying like, yo, it's a hard call to make like what are you supposed to fucking do like i don't know yeah it's it's like like, why i if don't fucking have kids to abuse them you know what i mean like but yeah so i mean it's like a daily occurrence i i live in park slope or i i work in park slope i live in red hook i work in park slope and so like it's a daily occurrence to see some parent just like sort of with just like a blank glassy expression on their face and they're like they have like a screaming toddler that's just screaming, just ah, 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 and they and they're just ignoring. They're just they've tuned it out at this point because this is just like they don't and they're just like carrying the thing or just like dragging the thing along. They're just like, yep, okay, like and they're just like yeah, just going just like yeah, fine, scream. There's we're screaming you have the way. to. I don't sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, you have to do that because like. Um, if you're reactive to that screaming and that tantrum, then they get a signal like, I get it. Like, this is how I'm going right. to dominate this person by, like, throwing tantrums. So, like, I prefer that glassy-eyed, like, just like, all right, yeah. go for it. I'm ignoring you to, like, the well, yeah, that's the that's what you're while. supposed to do. You just, you just zen out and just let everybody else deal with your screaming child. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, guys. 
Hope you're enjoying this because yeah. I'm not stopping it. It's great. Oh, but, how many more stops do you have? Oh, great. You're going to be on here for a minute. Thought you were going to listen to an audiobook on this train? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but then there's like the people who like actively like hit their kids on the train and yeah, I just can't stand it. Up. I can't stand it. You know, it's like, what the fuck, man? And they've already like done studies now and they're like, spanking kids does not work. And um, it just breeds resentment and it fucks them up psychologically so like people can say what they want and defend it or whatever it is but like um i think this shit is stupid and like i also just think that we live in a hostile society because people would yeah. do shit like that and resort to like violence and so like violence begets violence and then yeah. people i mean sometimes in my opinion violence is necessary like I, I'm that's maybe not a popular um No, I opinion. feel you. I'm not a pacifist. Yeah, it's like if somebody's attacking you or something, like yeah. you have to like go off you have to like you better put them down like ASAP. But I don't like it when it's like that. You know? I'm just like, no. And then um but then I have like violent tendencies where I'm like, if this fucking guy hits his kid again, I'm gonna hit him. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this yeah. is not good. I almost, I almost solving fought it. a guy in in my neighborhood for like he was like uh, he was screaming at his dog, and like like even just even that is just like because it's just like teeny tiny like stupid little like Yorkie dog that was barking at our dog, and then he just like kept going you know he was like apologizing he's like oh sorry this dog sucks this dog's and it was like yeah it's fine it's not a big deal and then he just like kept the dog kept like pulling and barking and then he kept just like screaming like, fucking fucking shut the fuck up and he's like jerking at its leash and like yeah we we just like kind of walked away and i was just like i'm not gonna turn around and look and see if he's gonna like hit or kick his dog because like I don't want it to be a whole fucking thing. And like, what do I even do? Do I fucking lay the guy out? And then what do I take his dog with me? Like, what do I do? Like, <laughs> play the tape through Brad. Like and what's going to happen? Just keeps barking. Yeah. The dog, the, the dog, dog attacks like... me because I just like fucked up. His, like, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Like you can't do anything. You're going to call the cops. I'm not going to call the fucking cops. Like, what do you do? Like you, you just like, fuck it. Like, I don't know. So, I don't know, but I think you're gonna do great. I think you're gonna you're gonna be a big gentle papa bear. You're gonna be so good with those little twins. Um, you're I don't know, like you have a you have a podcast uh, that, are, yeah. that I really like, uh, um, Halal Cartels with with our friend uh, Gabe Pacheco, um, and you know you talk a lot about uh, society, and uh, it inevitably gets into just how we're all kind of fucked. And, uh, you know, just there's no way out like there's solar panels, like a green new deal. Like just we're just we're just going off the fucking precipice. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do. So, like, what is your what is what do you think about that? Like as a, you know, a burgeoning parent uh, handing your kids a like a, a burning world. That is a real serious concern of mine I, before i was realized i was gonna be a parent i was like look i'm gonna be the one in here and learning how to fucking swim better and getting rafts together and stuff and yeah doing whatever i have to do to survive but it sucks to know that they're inheriting like a broken world and 
Um, it makes me want to honestly look for good solutions and really back like um, people who are trying to do something about climate change and you know but you know what like from the dawn of time I think people have been very doom and gloom about the world ending ASAP and sure enough it's still like around Um, and I'm not stupid and I don't really believe in exceptionalism like look uh, you know the fucking dinosaurs died or whatever but it's not gonna happen to us or something like it will inevitably but uh, I really I think the only way for us to have a better world is to teach the future generations like somehow we still have like fucking shocking levels of racism and like bigotry and shit and I thought that that would have been erased by now but it's just like next level at the moment so I I do realize that that's a possibility and and the only way we can stop shit like that from happening is to dilute it with good people and uh, teach the next generation like the good shit that will inevitably drown out those shitty and hateful voices and um, ignorant voices who don't believe in climate change and stuff. Um, And we need to take more control of politics in this country because the reason why most horrible things are happening is because um, money in politics. And that's really it. Uh, If if politicians were actually public servants that didn't have a vested interest in making fucking terrible decisions to um, pay back their like you know donors then we'd have a different world but i don't know i just want to have faith you know who knows like i said life is short so it's like try and spend as much time with these kids as i can and hopefully um some type of fucking miracle happens yeah i don't know i mean you know you could do both you teach them you teach them love and acceptance you teach them uh you know uh uh peace and solidarity but you also maybe like teach them how to like shoot and fight and farm and you know like teach, yeah. teach them all like the all survival of those skills and shit that just in case just in case you know so i don't know yeah yeah man samir nasim thank you so much for being on the show this was really great uh is there anything you would like to plug i know you got a weekly show uh yeah, tomorrow. Fun ass comedy. I'm yeah, every Wednesday. There. It's, it's tomorrow. Hell yeah, I would love there. that. I would love oh, yeah. that. I would love I'll that. I'll hopefully see you tomorrow. Um, but yeah, uh, give us your socials and all of that shit. Yeah, so uh, every week I'm at uh, Pete's Candy Store in Brooklyn at 9 30 p.m. doors, 10 p.m. show. It's called Fun Ass Comedy. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at S A M E E R M O N. And uh, yeah, I got a podcast called The Halal Cartels. Check it out. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you once again to Samir Nassim for coming on the show. Great dude. Nice, nice guy. Just a, just a warm, just a big, warm, cuddly guy. Kind eyes. A very, a very friendly demeanor. Good ass dude to talk to. Go see that show. Check him out do all the stuff rate and review us on iTunes you know give us a five star rating tell a friend put this on your Instagram stories that would help out that's a very easy thing to do 
Any fucking idiot can run an Instagram account, obviously. <laughs> hey, you can do that. Super easy. You can subscribe on patreon.com slash selfworst. I'd love it if you did. That'd be super great. I'd shout you out, maybe. I'd, I'd wink at you for sure next time I see you. Whatever you want. Follow me at Bradical Pearson on both Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at SelfWorst on Instagram. We have fun on Instagram. And, uh, you know, write in uh, SelfWorst at gmail.com. Again, nobody does that. That's okay, though. Who emails? Whatever. It's fine. And uh, we got some more exciting guests coming up. Sorry I missed y'all last week. Missed a week. What are you going to do? Sorry. Uh, but we got... I, I'm recording three more this week. So we're going to have plenty in the can. So don't worry. More coming at you. Music is by Shea Bartel. Theme song is by Shea Bartel. And me, I helped write it. I never give myself credit for that, though. You know what I'm like hard for me to congratulate myself or advocate for myself or do any of that stuff oh man I almost had to stand up for myself today I almost had to fucking I almost had to tell somebody like hey I'm not gonna do this if it's not paid like I almost had to because I thought that they were like asking me to do like a free thing and I was just like oh god and the text is like, hey, don't, no, I need to get paid. And, and, you know, like, expect them to be like, why, bitch? But I turns out I misread the message and they were like, oh, it's paid. And I was like, oh, good. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't, so I don't have to, I don't have to uh, do anything uncomfortable or have a hard conversation or be an adult man. Yay. All right. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Have a good week. Enjoy the darkness. Embrace the darkness. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you. Bye.